Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Tuesday edition of the Yard. Took the holiday yesterday, like many of you. And I'll be honest with you, I told you guys last week I was uh, headed back home, had my birthday weekend, and uh, spent some time on the mighty Pearl River down in Marion County. Saw some people I hadn't seen in about 30 years. It was great. Saw some folks I graduated high school with. Many of them look exactly the same. I don't. I'm okay. I wear it well. But it was great. It's always good to go back and see people. You know, it's, it's so great to be able to go back and see people that, that were very important to you at one point in your life. And in some way, they still carry some level of importance. Maybe not quite as significant now, but um, it was good. Now, I'll tell you this. I'm not the, uh, I'm not the river rat I used to be. You know, used to, I'd go out there and stay all weekend and, and not feel the impact of it. But, uh, you know, being out in that sun and all that activity out there, I don't even drink anymore. My goodness. But um, maybe that helped, right? I don't know. But I tell you this, when I got home to Starkville, Mississippi on Sunday, I was uh, ready to go to bed. So I did. It's crazy, too, you know, how life works. I went down there with no plan other than to see my friends. Did, didn't book a room. Uh, didn't bring my camping gear, probably should have, could have camped out on the riverbanks like I used to years ago. Probably in hindsight, that's probably what I should have done, but uh, had a, a newer friend from my hometown invite me to come stay at their place and uh, slept on the couch, which is always great when you're 6'2", but I appreciated having somewhere nice to lay my head with the air condition blowing. So we had a good time. We did. Got home, and uh, internet connectivity at the Robertson residence is uh, not working so i got a service guy coming out on wednesday so i'm uh, I'm be uploading this show on the hotspot. thank the world for uh for technology but all that said interesting and so i had to watch the final episode of season four of stranger things on my telephone which was what two hours and 21 minutes that's uh that's quite a chore too maybe you guys do it all the time i'm not i'm a big screen guy i like to be able to kind of get it up on the wall or whatever put on the projector or whatever and watch it up there but uh, I, I just couldn't not finish the season and we're going to talk a little bit about stranger things matter of fact i'll go ahead and tell you our top 10 list today or 10 songs have been featured in the original series stranger things and one of the things that i love about stranger things i mean there's one on the rider but also two the writing is spectacular but the music remarkable if you're unfamiliar with the series, let me encourage you to watch it. Yes, it's a little bit fantastical. It is. It's very entertaining. It's set in the 1980s. The fashion is on point. The music, perfect. Absolutely perfect. And uh, there's one scene in season four that I think is one of the more iconic scenes of you know, modern, maybe streaming media. Pretty impressive. So we're going to talk about that on the show. But, yeah, listen, if you're not a Stranger Things fan, maybe, maybe you're like, well, you know, Steve, I don't know. It's worth it, man. I'm telling you. I don't highly recommend a lot of series. You know, Breaking Bad is phenomenal. I do like Better Call Saul, but not as much as Breaking Bad, even though they make Jimmy kind of a lovable pro- protagonist in Better Call Saul. But uh, I enjoy all these characters. But I really enjoy Stranger Things. I enjoy Sons of Anarchy. I thought it was great. I think Stranger Things, because there is a little bit of a teeny bopper element from my teen years, it kind of brings up these feelings of nostalgia or whatever. I love it. I do. 
I absolutely love it. And uh, again, it's not a realistic story. I mean, in any way whatsoever, it's not. But in some ways, too, it is kind of reminiscent of like the 1980s, like horror films, that sort of stuff. And it's kind of got a Stephen King element to it where there's this, it's always a good versus evil type thing. And, you know, all this evil comes into our world. You know, it's just kind of like with Children of the Corn, you know. I mean, there's no way that could ever happen, you know. But I think that's the thing. It's kind of the... Um, the thing about the 80s movies, in many respects, which I submit to you, 80s movies, 80s music, I grew up in the best decade. I did. A lot of you people, oh, but Steve, no, no, no. Everybody has these feelings maybe about their rearing years, but I feel very blessed and fortunate to have grown up in the 80s. I got to see all the great bands. Many of them I'm getting to see again. Matter of fact, me and Roy headed to see Judas Priest later this year. Excited about that, man. We got tickets the first day. Judas Priest and Queensryche. Can't wait for that show. I've been thinking about going up in Nashville to go see L.A. Guns. Faster Pussycat, Tom Kiefer. Might do that too. I'm still a metalhead at heart, which is one of the reasons that I love the character Eddie in Stranger Things. He is one of the stars of season four. I think the way that thing ends, there are a lot of people today that love Eddie. Pretty crazy. And uh, I won't spend a lot of time on this, but I wrote about it yesterday on Facebook, for those of you that followed me on Facebook. You know, the thing about Eddie is, is Eddie perfectly personifies what it was like to be a metalhead in the 1980s. There were a lot of people in the small town America that were scared of people like me. Now, my hair was not nearly as glorious back then as it is today. I would have given anything in my teenage years to have that mop that Eddie has. But all of that said... Eddie repped our brand pretty well. And I shared with you guys before, man, it was so great, man, you're growing up in Mississippi because, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot. You know, it was like, you know how it was, man. It's like they'd have the big thing at the water park when you're a kid and there's a live band and it's like, you know, somebody's uncle's bluegrass band and I'm sure there are people that enjoy that sort of stuff. Oh, let's do arts and crafts. It was the same stuff all the time. But when we had a chance to go to Jackson or go to Biloxi or go to Hattiesburg and some of you for Tupelo, you know, and then you had a chance to go to those record shops, man. That's where your friends were. And if you didn't have a lot of friends with you, you made friends while you were there. I cannot tell you how many people I met at Bebop Record Shop in Jackson, Mississippi. I guess there were three locations. I used to go to the one there in Highland Village pretty regularly. And, of course, there was the one over by Metro Center. Went there, too. That was a bigger one. You could, could get concert tickets there first. Well, the only, and they print them right there for you. It was cool. But you walk in there, and all of a sudden, there's some dude from MR or some dude from, you know, from Canton or whatever, and got on a denim jacket, might have had like an armored saint patch on it. All of a sudden, you look around, and it's like, hey, man, you, have you heard this? And you're like, you're, you're trying to make a decision because most of us cut grass to buy music back then. That's what we live for. We'd cut our neighbor's yards to be able to fund our concert ticket uh, purchases and our, our records. We'd buy cassettes. We'd... You know, in late my teen years, we bought CDs, which was remarkable at the time. But we lived on cassettes, man. It was about 10 bucks. You go cut, a, cut somebody's yard, and you're already thinking in your head, okay, I got to go cut so-and-so's yard because the new Rat album is coming out this week. I got to go get that. And then we had MTV that was constantly kind of pumping this music to us. We're like, man, I got to get this. I got to get that. But I would go to Bebop Record Shop, and it's like, I mean, it's a big decision, man. Do I buy the new Bullet Boys or do I get Winger? There'd always be that guy that had already heard it all. You know, he had that big, uh, you know, treasure trove of cassettes in his car. 
He'd walk out there to his uh, Mustang 5.0. He'd pop in a tape and let you hear a little bit of an album. And you'd go back, yeah, I think I'm going to get this one. And it didn't matter that we were complete strangers, man. We were part of a movement, man. It's who we were. It's what we did. And so when Eddie hit the scene on Stranger Things, I'm like, and these are my people. They were. You know, grew up going to, you know, small Mississippi uh, church and that sort of stuff. And, you know, back in those days, people wanted to burn records and all this talk about, oh, we, we burned Kiss's Destroyer album and all these colors and all this kind of stuff. And we, you know, we saw the uh, a ghost come from it. You know, and then like that, those things became the stuff of legend that began to spread around. And then all of a sudden people were like, oh, there's, there's demonic influence on these records and demons have attached themselves to these cassettes. And if they're in your home and you're going to hell, wasn't true. That's what we did. And so the more that people kind of rallied against our music, the more we bonded together and became a community. As I wrote yesterday, we were a demon, excuse me, a denim, maybe demon, a denim jacketed army. And when you saw one another, you understood. Because we all knew what we were going through, just to listen to our music, the music that represented us and our character, and that we wanted something a little bit more than small town Mississippi. Didn't mean that anything was wrong with those who did. We were just different. So Eddie is a champion, and I want to thank the Duffer Brothers for the great job they did. I've read, many of you have reached out to me and said, hey, yeah, uh, Eddie is kind of loosely based on Damian Eccles, who was part of the West Memphis Three. And Damien's a guy that had some problems, too. But, uh, you know, he and two of his friends were arrested and, and imprisoned uh, for murders they didn't commit. Johnny Depp and many other people got involved to kind of bring awareness to the case. But basically, these were just metalheads that experimented a little bit with some of the things they read about, learned about, heard about. And they became convenient villains. And so I've been told that Eddie is loosely based on Damien Eccles, who was considered the leader of the West Memphis Three. But at his core, the guy was just a metalhead. So metalheads unite. I know many of you today are bald-headed. You got a pop belly, whatever, man. I know you still got those rock fingers. You can still stick those horns up, put on some Ronnie James Dio. And remember, time in life was a little more simple. And the biggest, you know, biggest decision we had to make is what place we were going to eat in the food court at the mall. And we dreamed of days like this, man. We did. We did. We dreamed of the days like, hey, well, when I'm growing up and I got my own money, man, I'm going to go see Molly Crew every chance I get. I'm going to get that, that IROC Z, be cruising down the, by, the, by the reservoir, my radio playing way too loud. But these are the days we dreamed of. Some of you gave up on that. I'm still a defender of the faith. But I, again, really appreciated being able to see that and see Eddie. And, uh, you know, this one segment, there's one part in the show when, uh, I want no spoilers here, but uh, there's one minor detail I kind of laughed, and I felt it, man. It's like, uh, you know, the music's a big part of the show, and like, you know, like, like that's part of their way that they kind of like ward off evil. It's like their favorite song kind of pulls them out of the upside down or whatever. And so, like, this uh, high school girl was like going through Eddie's music trying to find something, and he's going through, going through all these tapes, and she's he's, what are you looking for? I'm looking for Madonna or whoever or Prince or whatever. I'm looking for music. And he's like, this is music. And he grabs Iron Maiden's Peace of Mind cassette. And when he did, in the look of conviction on his face, I was like, that is my dude right there. So be sure and watch Stranger Things if you have it. I think you'll enjoy that. But again, to a nice trip down memory lane. And for those of you that know, you, those, you know, chances are we might have met at Bebop Record Shop. Maybe I talked to you into buying maybe a, a cassette or CD at some point. And maybe you 
maybe influenced me to buy one. And maybe we all shared a moment at the Coliseum, raising our fist to the gods of rock. Great times, great times. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. Man, I love Bulldog Burger Company, too. Not as much as I love Molly Crew, but I love Bulldog Burger Company. It is a great place to eat, a great place to work. My nephew Dan worked there. He loved it. He was there his, basically his whole time he was at Mississippi State. He worked there. He told me, man, great people, man. I had a great boss, a great opportunity there. He also put on a few pounds while he was there. Yeah. You're going to eat good at Bulldog Burger Company, I'm going to tell you that. A lot of places out there cutting back on portions, keeping the price the same, and in some cases can maybe adding some prices to you. Maybe get some hidden charges in there. Not our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. Still doing the great job. Great food at a great price and a great atmosphere run by a great company. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and then the newest one, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Be sure and go check them out. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They will make you and everybody around you better looking. That is in writing. And if, if the world has taught us anything, if things are in writing, they're true. They're true. And this is true. Get that chocolate shake to go. You'll be glad you did. While you're there, maybe you don't say, so you know what, Steve, I don't, I don't feel like a hamburger today. You can have that great BLT salad. I like it grilled. You may like it fried. But either way, it is fantastic. I have never finished it. That's how generous the portion is. Be sure and go check them out today bulldog burger company the place where people go to meet m-e-a-t all right many of you over the course of the last handful of days have contacted me uh you may recall former Ole Miss recruiting analyst Brennan Chapman is on Twitter had said some negative things about Mississippi State before he's in Ole Miss trouble through and through I'm not in any way going to judging him we're just two guys that uh, are on opposite sides of the rivalry see a lot of things differently but he tweeted out some things about Deion Smith. And there is some truth to some of what he's saying. Not, not all the facts are there. I've talked to a few people, too, just because I'm so intrigued by this. Because, and not because of, it's Deion Smith, who, who I like a lot. Deion Smith's an incredible player. And, you know, he, uh, he went to LSU. And so, but I wanted to talk about some things that I have learned kind of about this situation that are not just specific to Deion. I'm not going to get into personal finance or that kind of stuff. I'm not, not. But it's a problem that I see with the transfer portal process. And I think it's important for us to talk about this. Because I think the Deion Smith situation, because, again, I think Brennan has some of the facts. And we, we, he and I have actually been in contact. Because I think he and I see it the same way in many respects. Maybe the details may be a little bit different. But I think we see that this is a maybe a downside to the portal and probably something that the transfer portal windows, if we establish those, could prevent that makes sense so again i've done some digging around and again i'm not going to sit here and tell you i know everything about Dion's specific situation i hope whatever is going on he gets it worked out but here's here's basically what i've been told and Dion's not alone in this there are other players around the country kind of dealing with something similar but the fact that there's a guy that's a former mississippi state commitment a guy that played in, in our home state i think because there is maybe some interest ultimately in his college destination Maybe it'll, it'll mean a little more to you, you know, because you know who this player is. Of course, he signed with LSU. So there is this, and we've talked about it on the show before, but there is this kind of untalked about issue with the portal. And there are a lot of issues, but this is one that makes it more personal, like for players. So if a player, if and when a player goes into 
the NCAA transfer portal, once they go in, the school with which they have signed or they attend is no longer required to facilitate or administer any financial aid. All right, we got that? So you go in, you want to transfer. They don't have to pay your tuition. They don't have to pay for your books. They don't have to pay for your room and board. And so for some people, they're getting down to the end. Let's like say, for an example, and, and again, I've, I've been told Dion is kind of in this boat, okay? So he goes in the portal, and all of a sudden they cut the aid off, and you get to the end of the year, and you got a bill. You got a bill. And so in order to facilitate a transfer, and again, I don't know if this is absolutely correct, but you're kind of trading some notes with Brendan. I think there's probably some, some line of thinking along this, con, you know, this inconsistency, I guess, with some things, is if there is a, a hold, there's like a financial hold, they won't release your transcript. And so, you know, Brennan's put some numbers out there that says, hey, they went to go pay this. And, and again, I don't know who's paying for it. I don't know anything about any of that stuff. I, I don't believe it's the junior colleges, though. I mean, junior colleges are so cash-strapped. I don't see they want to get into the, the habit of, uh, of paying for a financial hold for a player. Yeah, maybe they will. I don't know. I, I don't think that's going to be the case. But, uh, but basically, if you had these transfer windows in that open up at the end of the semester, it would alleviate all of this. All right, because let's just, again, we're taking, making a little bit of an assumption here. Deion Smith signs a scholarship, goes to LSU. They pay the freight all the way through the fall season. He plays, and everything's paid for. You know, books, room, board, tuition, fees, everything's taken care of. Well, in the middle of the semester, maybe he decides, hey, I want to transfer. And I don't remember the dates on him. At the end of the day, it's not really relevant. But then all of a sudden, now it's like, you got thousands of dollars. And, and again, I don't know how close Brennan is to this situation, but it doesn't appear to be an insignificant amount of money. I mean, there's a reason that people use financial aid to go to school. It's very expensive to go to college. And is this what we want, though? There are a lot of people that push for the transfer process. And it's funny, too, it's kind of like in politics. There are a lot of people that say they push for this because they only see one side of the issue. And there's been a lot of unintended consequences as a result of the transfer portal. And this is one that I think is particularly egregious. Whereas we have become so student-athlete rights-centric, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing, but we have now allowed this legislation, and I say we, we're just talking about the benefactors of the NCAA, that a student athlete can elect to use their one-time transfer exception and then have to pay for school, and then if they're unable to pay for that, then they can't even transfer, they can't even get access to their trans- transcript. So how, does, how do they enroll? How do they facilitate a transfer when the school they were attending has elected to cut off their financial aid? Now, some people will hear that and say, hey, Steve, hey, you know what, that's good. That's good. They want to quit the team. They want to quit the program. They want to back out on their decision. Then they should pay the freight. And you know what? Maybe that's true. But I don't know who advised Dion in this process. But that's probably something that should have been cleared up before that. And, again, I'm assuming that this is all correct, right? I mean, again, it's really, in some respects, it's a hypothetical kind of loosely based on some things that have been shared on social media. So, again, Dion may have his situation completely resolved. But it, it begins a dialogue and a conversation about 
something that could be very, very detrimental to student athletes. Now, some would say, hey, Steve, you know, you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. You learn, you learn a very valuable and expensive lesson about life. There are consequences for your decision. I just think if we're going to do all these things to protect student athletes and put in all these safeguards, this is probably something that needs to change. And again, if you had the transfer window that began at the end of the semester, then you wouldn't have this issue. Now, one of the things that I was told when this first began is Mississippi State was going to continue at least academic aid. You know, they were going to make sure that people, when they transfer, would be able to leave in good academic standing. They're going to be able to go attend classes and things like that, not going to have a bunch of WPs or WFs, anything like that, that the, that the facilities would, not, would be off limits. And I don't even know if that's truly really the case, but uh, I think when guys have transferred in the past that they've been able to stay in school but they have not been able to, uh, you know, had the full run of the facilities, can't go work out and things like that. And so they have to use a local gym. They have to pay for that. So that makes some sense to me. But I just begin to think, you know, what does this do? What, what kind of message does this send if, the, you know, if this is true? And, again, this is not just specific to Dion Smith. And, and in no way am I being judgmental of Dion. I, I hope the best for Dion. Um, I really do. But when this thing hit social media, people were like, hey, is this true? And initially I was like, there's no way. But yes, way, Ted, yes, there is a way. And it's not just limited to this one student athlete. It's something that's happening around the country. And so other people, like their parents, are having to go, hey, we got to go borrow some money, whatever. we got to find a way to pay for all this so they can go on. And this is a situation here where, if I understand correctly, based on what I was told today, uh, Dion plans to go to East Mississippi and then kind of re-enter you know, the, the recruiting cycle pool. You know, he'll, he'll go in East Mississippi, play this fall, and then sign with somebody else in January. You know, could be Ole Miss. I don't know who it's going to be. But it has not been a smooth process, it appears. And so, again, I just ask, is this really what we want? And how do we fix it? You know, there are some people out there that say, yeah, you know, see, there should be consequences. But what if it's a situation – because we don't know everything that went on with Deion Smith and LSU. I mean, what if it's a situation where a player or a student athlete, male, female, whoever, uh, has been mistreated? What if there are things about their situation that are not available for perfect purview, public purview and they shouldn't be? You know, what if there's a situation, like, like in women's sports, you know, we, we've heard about this, these nightmare stories associated with, like, Michigan State. You know, what if you have a student athlete that's been mistreated and they're just like, I can't do this anymore. I, I just, I can't do it. I've got to leave here, you know, for my own safety, for my own mental health, for my own sanity. I've got to get out of here. And so they're in a negative situation. And so they, they elect to transfer. And then all of a sudden we hit them with a ten, uh, you know, five-finger bill, five-figure bill. I almost said five-finger death punch. But, you know, it's like, hey, you've been through this negative situation and we know you got to transfer. Hey, before you go and before we send your transcripts to your new school, can you have your parents write us a check for you know $10,000? It's crazy, man. It really is. And I, I think this is something that maybe on its face made a lot of sense when they rolled out transfer legislation. I don't know that it makes sense now. I really don't. I mean, you're still going to have to pay everybody, right? And so then the issue becomes – how does this young person protect their their eligibility? And so, like, say, for an example, you know, like if I was when I grew up in South Mississippi, I mean, when I was a kid living with my grandparents, we were as broke as the Ten Commandments. 
And then when my mom got remarried, things got a lot better. But, you know, we weren't affluent by any stretch. You know, we were basically, you know, lower to middle, middle class. You know, we were able to take vacations and we had cable TV and, you know, my mom and stepdad had new vehicles. And, you know, for the most part, you know, we were not in any way underprivileged. We weren't overprivileged either. But, uh, but all that said, it's like I wouldn't have been able to facilitate all this, you know, on my own, you know, without them. But, and so if we have somebody that is, that is broke – and can't pay this, and all of a sudden, maybe somebody else steps up and says, hey, I'll, I'll loan you guys this money or I'll pay it. Well, then all of a sudden, does that become an impermissible benefit? I would suggest that it probably does. And so there is this labyrinth of issues associated with this that can be fixed very, very quickly. It can be. I think this instituting a transfer window is at the end of a semester. That way, everybody gets done with class. Everybody's done transcripts are clean but the way the way this is happening I, I think is probably wrong i think most of you would likely agree this is wrong i mean forget you know take it's a principle it's a four personality issue i know some people would say hey well he may be going to Ole miss okay well forget that for a second because there will come a time when there may be a player that's wanting to come to mississippi state and so if this isn't corrected we're going to be dealing with this issue down the road i think it's an important thing to talk about now, we're not change makers by any stretch of the imagination, but I think having a dialogue keeps this stuff relevant. And all of a sudden, people begin to kind of pay attention to it. You know, there, again, there are other people that say, you know what, hey, serves the kid right, he shouldn't have quit. He should have waited to the end of the semester. But you know what that does? It puts them at a, a, a competitive disadvantage as a recruit. It does. That's one of the things that people have fought for is like, hey, we want them to be able to transfer and be able to announce their transfer they're going in the portal as quickly as they can so they have plenty of time to go through the secondary recruiting process. And so now, if you're going to do this, if you're basically going to hold a lot of these kids financially hostage, well, now all of a sudden they just say, well, I'm, I'm not going to wait and announce. I'm going to, I'm going to stay on financial aid. Then as soon as I take finals, then I'll go in the portal so at least I don't have to leave with this big debt or have to pay you know, for, for schooling. And again, some would say, you know what, Steve, that's just kind of part of life. And you know what, there is some truth in that. But this is a situation that has been made by the adults. We have allowed this to happen. I say we, the adults in the room with the NCAA and everybody involved in these discussions, you know, they can fix it. Again, I, just imagine how you would feel if you're 18, 19 years old and you've had a negative experience. Maybe you're homesick or whatever. And, you know, maybe you've got a, you know, an ill relative or something. You think, I mean, I just I need to get back closer to home. And you go in and you tell your compliance director and say, hey, i got to go in the portal. And then now, because maybe you're making a transfer decision for the right reasons, you still have to go write a big five-digit check. I just, I just think it's wrong. And I think it's something we need to talk about. I think it's something the NCAA needs to address. I'm not going to belabor the point too long here. But uh, just because of the fact this is a player of some relevance in the state of Mississippi, very, very talented football player. And so, obviously, he has some options, and he's going to go to junior college this year, you know, hopefully. You know, but how does this situation get resolved? If what Chapman has put out there, I think the numbers here is thousands of dollars. You know, what, is, what happens there? You know, how does that get facilitated? Well, you know, so, well, the family's got to find a way to do it. Well, well what if they can't? Then what happens? And that's the thing I think about, too. It's not like he's trying to transfer directly from LSU to Ole Miss. That, that was rumored some time ago. But he's trying to go play JUCO football. He's trying to go play junior college football. He's going down a couple levels just to 
you know, get on the football field, further its education, and then this is what, again, we're kind of rumored to be dealing with. I, I just, I, I just don't know that I can support that. You know, and again, there's so many people too. It's like when a guy quits or a, a lady quits, you know, you begin to think, well, you know, they're a quitter. They deserve whatever they get. And, you know, sometimes I think we forget their kids. What if it was your kid? And what if you didn't have the financial wherewithal to be able to pay for that? I mean, you know, m- many parents, you know, have to kind of go into debt to ensure that their your students can go to college. These people have been blessed with the talent and the skill to be able to get their education paid for. And you can say, you know what, A.C., well, I had to pay for five years for my kid, and it's not going to hurt this family to pay for a semester. You know, maybe, maybe so. I just think it opens up some cracks for some very talented players that could fall through if they don't have the ability uh, to pay for all this. And, again, there are a lot of schools out there that are, you know what, hey, we're going to allow everybody to, to remain on aid until they finish out the semester and then they'll move on to their next institution. But, uh, you know, I, I think this could be something that could potentially be litigated, you know, sooner rather than later. You know, of course, the rules are the rules, right? And, you know, I don't know if a lot of these rules were in place when Deion Smith signed with LSU, but, you know, but the reality of it is is that a lot of things have changed. College athletics have changed a lot in the last two years. And so this is just something that I think a lot of maybe the casual fan hadn't paid attention to. And, again, Brendan and I have been in contact. I reached out to him after I talked to a couple people, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know how true it is, but if this is true on its face, it's very unfortunate. And we may disagree, and it's okay. But this is a student athlete out here from our home state, and I think when, we, when, you, when you get down to the, the brass tacks of the whole thing, it kind of becomes a cautionary tale. Can you imagine if State or Ole Miss, and maybe this has happened and we don't know about it, I hope it hasn't, and you could throw Southern Miss into that respect at all. Let's say for an example, let's say a kid goes to Mississippi State from Macomb High School, and things don't work out for one reason or another. And he likes to transfer, and then State cuts off his financial aid, and then maybe he wants to transfer to Southern Miss or Jackson State, and he's unable to do that do, and because he has to go pay this huge bill. Do you think the coaches at Macomb High School are going to bring their kids to our 7-on-7 camp again? I would say probably not. Do you think the coach at Macomb High School is going to be a friend of Mississippi State? You know, maybe Brian Kelly's thinking, you know what, we're never going to sign a kid from Provine High School again, so we don't really care. But we're going to send a, a very stern message to the rest of our roster to, hey, if you leave, you're going to pay the freight. And maybe that's an important lesson to learn. I just don't know if Mississippi State or Ole Miss or Southern Miss could really do that with an in-state kid. Because I think you're the one that wears that. I think it's important to understand, too. It's like, you know, this is supposed to be about the betterment of the student-athlete. There's a bigger thing here than one athlete, in my mind. I think the message is, you know, all of a sudden, hey, well, look at LSU. I mean, do you think there's anybody right now in the state of Mississippi that is looking at a situation with LSU and there's not another recruiter from another school saying, hey, look at what LSU's doing to Deion Smith? You know, look, if you get down there, all of a sudden they're going to cut your financial aid off if you decide to leave. And then when you get ready to transfer, they're going to give you this bill, give your mom this bill. How is that going to help recruiting? It's a big thing. It's complicated. It's a very complicated issue. I think it's one worth talking about. All right, let's move forward now. Time to talk about our friend uh, Blair Chandler with CloseWithBlair.com. I'm a big fan of uh, Blair Chandler. Big, 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 big fan. Blair's a guy to get things done. 
right? I mean, I, I, I kind of fashion myself as a, as a mover and a shaker myself. And Blair's the guy that gets things done. And listen, anytime that you've been in, in any industry for 20-plus years, you're getting things done. 21 years in a very competitive industry like the mortgage lending industry, this guy's been through the wars, and he will hold your hand through that process. He will guide you through it because he has done it all and seen it all. And I'm going to encourage you right now, visit him at closewithblair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. And check out what he can do for you when it comes to mortgage lending. I'm going to give you his personal cell number, too. It's 601-500-2344. 601-500-2344. You can say, you know what, Steve? I've tried in the past. I got declined. I just can't get my hopes up again. Let Blair look at you. Give him an opportunity. Because I'm telling you, this guy's in the top 1% close ratio in the country two years running. If he can't get your loan closed, chances are it can't be done. But he's a bit of a magic man, too. Again, that's closewithblair.com. Whether you're looking to refile, looking to buy a house, get a secondary mortgage, whatever you want to do, consolidate some debt, get some cash out, do some home improvements, he can help you with every bit of it. Get your equity working with you, for you, at closewithblair.com. All right, we didn't, uh, we didn't waste a lot of time when it came to uh, kind of unveiling what the top 10 list is going to be about. So, if you're unfamiliar, you can go, you can Google or you can search on Apple Music or Spotify for Stranger Things playlists, and they have like the soundtrack of all four seasons. And then again, it's spectacular. Now, one of the songs that made our list is not really one of my favorites, but it's really kind of coming to popularity again. It is probably more popular today than it was when it was released in the 80s, because I'm going to tell you the truth, it really wasn't that popular which tells me it was probably the favorite of uh, one of the producers. And so they kind of wanted to squeeze it in. It would be like me, too. Like if, if I'm, you know, scoring this movie or whatever, and I go out there and you know, put the sea hags on the soundtrack, and you'd be like, I've never heard this before. Is this new? No, it's not new. It's not new. It's not new to me. It's new to you. You know, maybe we'd have some Tora Tora on there. Maybe some Shock Paris, some Bang Tango. And you'd be like... Man, this is incredible music, Steve. Why didn't I listen to this? Well, you know, I, I can't really explain that. You know, maybe you were listening to Power 108 too much when they had their power pack of Debbie Gibson, Tiffany, and uh, New Kids on the Block. I wasn't listening to that. I was listening to WRNO, music that rocked. All right, but here are your top 10 songs from the four seasons of Stranger Things. And this is going to be a great list. Now, <clears throat> It's not all rock. Number 10, one of my favorite dance groups. Matter of fact, they uh, wrote and recorded one of my favorite dance songs of all time. You guys only knew their singles on MTV. I was much deeper in the catalog and a lot deeper in the jug. But it's Dead or Lives, You Spend Me Right Round Like a Record Baby, Right Round Round. Great, great song. It's been a legendary song. It's been... Uh, Covered many times. Even Flo Rida took a spin on it. But again, it's no nothing's true to the original. Listen to Pete Burns and the guys Dead or Alive. Number nine, and I put this one a little bit lower because we're going to go with the Stranger Things remix that was part of the trailer for season four. We're going with Journey's Separate Ways. It's like a three-minute kind of uh, muted and industrial type sounding. And I wanted to put it on the list because a lot of people are like, hey, I hope they release it. They have released it. They released it a couple months ago. 
so I wanted you guys to have the ability to add that to your playlist. Number eight, and the song that has become very, very popular, they're even playing it on Sirius XM Octane now, it's Kate Bush's Running Up the Hill, A Deal with God, which was as Max's favorite song. And that's kind of become a little bit of, in the undercurrent, kind of become the theme song of the show. Uh, so I, I didn't want to ignore that, even though it's not one of my favorites. It is, it is done exceptionally well. Number seven, we're going true to the rock. We're bringing in some Nuno Betancourt with Extreme. This song came to prominence as part of the Bill and Ted Excellent Adventure soundtrack. But it's Extreme's Play With Me. That, that, I'm going to tell you, Extreme's catalog is really, really good especially those first two albums, the self-titled album and then Porno Graffiti, Extreme 2, phenomenal. Number six, probably should have this one higher up on the list. I didn't like how they utilized it as much in the show, and that maybe that skewed me a little bit, but we had this song on these lists pretty regularly. It's, his, it's Kiss's Detroit Rock City. Number five, with Motley, it's Home Sweet Home. I didn't get a chance to see Motley, on this tour yet, I had tickets. We've had them for two years. Me and the homie Sam were going to Atlanta. Sam had to go without me. I'm still unhappy about that. Even though, listen, I've seen the videos, events, and they're not great. Still my guys. Number four, I thought the use of this song, you have to go back a couple seasons, but the use of this song was really, really good. It's romantics talking in your sleep because you tell me that you love me. You tell me that you need me. I know that I'm right because I hear it in the night. Night, night, night. All right, number three. It's Foreigner's Cold as Ice. Great song. Fits the season really well. I remember when it brought when it when they started playing it, I was like, this is this is near perfect. Number two, the Scorps with Rocky Like a Hurricane. Rock this works when there's chaotic scenes in movies. Rock works. I mean you can't I mean let's be honest. I mean you can't put on Debbie Gibson when there's a tornado coming across the Great Plains. When there's a fight, when there's a wreck, when hell's coming down, there's got to be a guitar playing, man. It just goes together. But number one, one of the great scenes in this generation when it comes to cinematography is the scene with our buddy Eddie playing Master of Puppets just before the great battle to end season four and there's Eddie up on top of the trailer and he's playing his guitar it is phenomenal even Jake Mangum said yesterday one of my favorite scenes in a movie or a show ever so my hope is is that uh, we're going to make America metal again and that my hope is like the number one trending song on Apple Music in the next couple days is going to be Master of Puppets which would be a step in the right direction for this country because we need to make America metal again and uh, we need and Ani says it best he says we've got to make metal part of American popular culture again so get it on TikTok whatever you got to do uh, there's so many people nowadays the music industry is so watered down I get so sick and tired of all these very very average voices uh, going viral on TikTok you know it's so stupid you know get somebody with some real juice and some real gumptions and real talent so let's stop doing that and let's get back to the rock and I love these kids on TikTok. You know, like I watch the reels and they, they just kind of filter in from everywhere. And I'll see these teenage kids playing drums like along to a Foo Fighters song or, or playing a Motley song or a Rat song. And I'm like, you know what? There's hope for this new generation. There's hope. 
It's time to rock again, America. And I hope the stadium tour with Motley and Def Leppard and Poison and Joan Jett and others kind of reminds people what it's like to put your fist in the air to the gods of rock. So thanks again to uh, CloseTheBlair.com for sponsoring Top Ten Lists. If you have an idea for the Top Ten List, reach out and let us know. We might just use it on our show. We'll give you credit if we can remember your name. So send it along. A lot of people have your your Twitter handle is like not your name. And so if I don't know your name, I can't give you credit. And if you don't want credit, that's cool. But if you want credit, send your name. Roy will pass that along to me. We'll give you credit on the show for whatever that's worth. Reach out to Roy on Twitter at Dogmatic. That's A-W-D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. He's also available on Spotify. You can, you can follow all these great lists uh, with Roy on Spotify. And if you, if you don't have Spotify, you can still view them and say, you know what, this is pretty cool. And there's apps out there that allow you, allow you to convert a Spotify list to an Apple Music list, too. How about that? Let me remind you, as always, go to primeshrimp.com to fill your shrimp needs. They have been in the shrimp and business, man, since the 1940s. They know everything about it. Came up with this revolutionary way to peel shrimp to make it easier to kind of mass produce that stuff. The quality, incredible. If you haven't tried it yet, you're missing out. Let me encourage you. Go to primeshrimp.com. Use promo code BONEYARD to save 20 bucks on your first order. Four great flavors to choose from. I like them all. You may have a favorite. Mine is that French Quarter Alfredo because I like being able to kind of drop that on a, a bed of uh, fettuccine noodles and have uh, some shrimp fettuccine. Very filling meal. Maybe you don't want all those carbs. Maybe you want to have them uh, on a salad. Get the Simply Seasoned or perhaps a Louisiana Shrimp Bowl. You'll be glad you did. Again, that's primeshrimp.com, promo code BONEYARD. Check it out today. Again, you'll be glad you did. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by your friends at Campus Bookmart. I love Campus Bookmart. You will too. If you haven't been to Campus Bookmart, you're missing out. Visit them on the backside of campus. See their lovely and talented faces. Always a smile when you walk in. They'll treat you like family because in their minds you are family. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll save you a little money. Promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. I'll be by there later this week to go check out the new bully shop, and I'll report back to you guys, let you know how it looks. Maybe I can get up there tomorrow before we record the show. How about that? You didn't, oh, you didn't know? Yeah, we're going to have a show tomorrow too. Courtesy to find folks at campusbookmart.net. Okay, let's look at some some baseball stuff. We've had some activity in the portal. Picked up a couple new commitments uh, to kind of bring you up to date on the old uh, transfer thread. You've had Landon Gartman, pitcher from Memphis, announced for stay outfielder Colton Ledbetter from Samford, right-handed pitcher Nate Dome from Ball State, middle infielder Amani Larry from UNO, and then we picked up Aaron Nixon from Texas. Well, since then, we've had two other names join the portal class, probably looking at two more added to the class. Now, outfielder Bill Knight, this is a guy that uh, basically bowled down the state of Ole Miss. And as always, Mississippi State wins when it comes to baseball uh, with Ole Miss. Bill Knight led Mercer baseball. Mercer was really good last year. And basically every offensive statistical category, if I can get it out. So Bill Knight hit 337, 
an OPS of 1.057, which uh, was second among the regulars. Started all 58 games. 73 runs scored, which led the team. 82 hits, which led the team. 19 doubles, which led the team. Two triples, which led the team. 17 home runs that was second on the team. Only Colin Price had more with 18. 64 RBI, which led the team. 156 bases, which led the team. A slugging of 642, which led the team. 27 walks, 8 hit by pitches. And that wasn't nearly as good. Colin Price got walked a lot more than that. But uh, fourth on the team in walks and uh, third in free passes. Struck out just 40 times in 243 at-bats, which is, a, a, I think, the best ratio on the team. It's among the best. Uh, did ground into five double plays, an on-base percentage of 415, which was second on the team among the regulars. He also had four sacrifice flies, which led the team, and then one sacrifice hit. So not, not leading in that category. And then 10 of 11 in stolen bases which was uh, second on the team, or third on the team, excuse me. So this is a guy that can run. It's a guy that can hit for power, a guy that can hit gaps, a guy that can play center field for you. And I'm told he can play pretty much wherever you need him to play because he is just simply a baseball player. So very happy to have them. When you start looking at your outfield now, you start thinking, okay, Knight and center, led better and left, Kellum Clark and right. Uh, that's uh, three guys that club double-digit home runs. Some real power out there real power and I suspect we're going to be very athletic defensively too that was one of the things last year took us a little while to settle on a center fielder and some of that too was Jess Davis who was expected to come in and kind of take over he is now in the transfer portal which Jess the best it just never really worked out here I was a Jess Davis fan felt he should probably be our everyday center fielder because he was a plus defender he really struggled against left-handers and at times had some non-competitive bats, and that kept him out of lineup some. So he's going to look for an opportunity. But I think Bill Knight will come in here and take over. Bill Knight obviously had a much better college resume than Jess Davis. This is a guy, obviously, that can be an offensive juggernaut for us. So you add him to the mix, and all of a sudden you start feeling pretty good about life. We also added um, from Duke, Will Hoyle. Now, Will is a guy that didn't just light the woods on fire, but he is a guy, too, that could be an interesting piece for us. This could be a guy that uh, comes in in the fall and just tries to make a team. A lot of people were kind of scratching their heads, like, hey, this kind of came out of nowhere. Well, there are a lot of guys that joined the program that come try to make the team, and, and he is going to be one of those guys. And so, you know, we'll see how things go. Statistically, not necessarily a guy that's really lit, lit the woods on fire, but uh, – uh, played at second base, another middle infielder, brings some competition there. He only hit 201, four doubles, four home runs, 17 RBIs. Did have 12 stolen bases, uh, you know, on the year. So he's a grad student. We'll see how things kind of progress with him. But, um, you know, I don't believe this is a scholarship situation against a walk-on guy trying to make the team. But, uh, you know, not a guy that really put the ball in play. I guess he maxed out his batting average kind of early in the year, around 255, and then kind of kind – of Stayed around 200, around the Mendoza line, as they say. But again, you know, uh, you know, played in 50 games. You know, had 164 abs, and uh, you know, got you know, 26 runs scored. And so again, just another guy kind of making, trying to make the team. And when you've got guys of this caliber, guys with that kind of experience making your team, 
that could make a real difference. He is a career 206 hitter on the college level. His best year was uh, 2020, the abbreviated year, he had 265. But 339 college at-bats under his belt, 98 starts, 140 games played. The guy's seen a lot of college baseball. Had 70 college hits, 13 doubles, uh, three triples, eight home runs. Just you look at his numbers in comparison, you know, to uh, tonight, there's not really much of a comparison. But this is a guy, too, you know, you're bringing him in. Maybe he's a defensive replay later in the ball game. He had a 966 fielding percentage, uh, six errors last year. 112 assists and uh, 75 putouts, but uh, got it ran the bases pretty well. Does he come in? Does he come in and become part of this deal where he is a, uh, you know, a pinch runner late? I don't know. I I don't know what his goals are other than the fact that he is just trying to find a way to help this team win. And so we're going to have some guys that are walk-ons on this team that we're going to be counting on, and perhaps he's one of them. So we'll see how things go. But, again, you, know, you, you didn't just go chase this guy and say, hey, this is the piece we're, we're needing. But he could be a situational guy that we add to the mix that really makes us, you know, a better ball club. And, uh, you know, I, again, I think you look at all these other things out here and you begin to realize when you've got a guy with this kind of experience willing to join your roster, even if it's just being a good locker room guy and a, a pinch runner late in games or whatever, it, it's probably worth the roster spot. All right, so what are we looking for now? Well – and we'd like to pick up Jackson Kelly. This is a guy we've kind of touched on a little bit here. Jackson Kelly, a reliever, kind of a sidearm guy with a unique mustache, could be an interesting piece. Is he a closer? Is he a setup guy? Is he a long relief guy? This is a guy that's very successful. Uh, led Mercer in most of their pitching categories. 1.35 ERA. Man, doesn't that just isn't that just just like music to the bulldog ears? A whip. It's ridiculous. 0.83. That's walk, hits, per innings pitch. Less than one. 7-0 record on the year. 25 appearances, no starts. Uh, six saves. Went 60 innings pitch, 32 hits. And think about that for a second. We talk about, you know, less than a hit per inning. This guy was around 0.5. Allowed nine runs on the year, 18 walks, 82 strikeouts, and that slider to right-handers is absolutely filthy. Did allow four extra base hits, four doubles, four home runs. Uh, batting average against him, excuse me, batting average against 158. Three wild pitches, three hit by pitches. And you'd expect a side armor at times, just you, know, you have a ball that doesn't break, you start a pitch on a guy's hips, and it just doesn't, it doesn't break in like you'd expect. But uh, not a lot of hit-by-pitches for a guy like that. But So, you know, really good, interesting piece should we get him. He is uh, in the portal, and he has announced that he is moving on. A lot of talk that he has uh, made a decision but has not announced that decision just yet. So, again, you start looking at that, you start realizing, okay, we've got a chance here to kind of put some things together and start feeling so good about, uh, you know, what is to come. I mean, if we had had two – seasoned relievers this year, you probably win 10 extra games. It's not to say that State would have won an AFL championship or got to Omaha, but you wouldn't, have, you wouldn't have missed out on Hoover. You wouldn't have missed out on an NCAA regional. You probably don't lose to Missouri again. You know, those are things you begin to look at. And so these moves that Chris Simonis and the staff are making in the portal season right now are very significant. I'll remind you, too, we have the number seven recruiting class in the country coming in. Some of those guys are junior college players, not a lot of them, mostly high school players. And so it's not like we're abandoning 
our recruiting footprint. We're just trying to find some stopgap guys who can come in here and help kind of right the ship while these guys develop in hopes of getting back to Omaha next year. And uh, I like what we're doing. And I, I've shared before, now that we have picked up uh, Bill Knight, I give us an A-. minus. I think we were a B-plus before that. Now, all of a sudden, you add Jackson Kelly and perhaps Paul Skeens, you're looking at an A-plus. And I've said it on the jeanspage.com message boards, and some people have tried to challenge me, and I'm more than happy to die on this hill. If State adds Jackson Kelly and Paul Skeens, even if we don't get anything else, they're in the discussion for potentially the best transfer portal class in the country. And said, but Steve, LSU's got this. Then we, we've beat that horse to death, right? That class may look a lot different come signing day, uh, after the draft, you know, report day. You know, some of your Bulldogs, some of your younger Bulldogs, the newcomers are, are enrolling for class today. They'll be here for the second session of summer school. Now, that does not prevent them from being drafted. But getting them here, I think, is part of that you know, decision-making process. While they're negotiating with teams, rather than kind of sitting home and wondering what college life would be like, they're going to be here with their teammates, working out, enjoying some nightlife, enjoying being one of the guys, kind of beginning their college baseball careers. And I think that's an important part of this. I think it's smart of the staff to push to get these guys to campus. It's like, hey, we expect you to be here. We'd love for you to be here in summer school and have the chance to kind of work out with your team. So if you elect to play college baseball, you've got the benefit of these summer workouts. And uh, we're a program, too, that needs an influx of talent. We also need some guys to get some reps. And we've got a lot of guys coming in that have a lot of college baseball experience under their belt. And so I think you begin to look at this and say, you know what, this is a Mississippi State roster that has been flipped. We, I think the lineup is going to be good. I think we all probably look at that and say, you know what, if these guys are anywhere close to as good as they were, then we're going to be really good, one through nine. And you start running these things down, and you begin to kind of realize, too, that you know competition makes everybody better. So you bring in these guys, and you make the best guys compete, the cream rises to the top. But we need arms, and we're getting them. And I suspect we're done position players now. I think the last additions of this portal class will be arms. Would love to be able to find a left-handed matchup guy. There's just not a lot of them out there. Just not. You know, people were talking earlier. I mean, uh, Ole Miss just went out and took a Division II kid, left-hander. And, and he may come in and be, you know, phenomenal. But I think that really kind of speaks more to the fact there's not a lot of great left-handers just out there in the portal from the Division One level. And we really need that guy to come in like a Zach Neff you know, and kind of chew up some left-handers and kind of move the game along late. You know, when you need to get nine outs and you got to face maybe two or three left-handers in a row, you bring in that guy, kind of a situational guy, and he gets you two outs and, and really just kind of moves the game along and you win the game. Lefty-lefty matchup is, is the greatest in all of college baseball. That's where the, the, the pitcher is really at an advantage because you don't see a lot of left-handers. And even left-handed hitters grow up facing – mostly right-handed hitters. But that, you know, that slider away from the left-hander is one of the toughest pitches in all of baseball. Just is. Lefty-lefty matchup, having to hit a slider, a guy that can throw for a strike, all of a sudden he changes the grip a little bit and it kind of sweeps away from you. It's almost impossible to lay off that pitch. And so we'd like to have that guy. Is that guy out there? You know, I know that Chris Ramones and Scott Foxall and Kyle Cheesebro and Jake Gotro have combed the portal and searched the world over. And now, now that July 1st has passed, we know without a doubt who's in, who's out. Now you can kind of figure this thing out. But can you find that guy? I don't know. 
But I believe if all you do is add Jackson Kelly and Paul Smesco, and I say only do that, I mean, those are two very significant pieces. These are two of the best pitchers remaining in the portal. And there's a bunch of guys out there. But we don't need a guy just to get a guy. We, we got a bunch of guys coming in. But we need some guys this year that make us a better baseball team immediately. And I believe these guys can do that. And I think they're guys, too, that uh, a lot of people are chasing. And I know that R.J. Yeager and uh, Bill Knight are working on Jackson Kelly uh, to kind of influence him to come here. And so we hope to have some comments from Bill Knight uh, in the days ahead, kind of why he chose Mississippi State. And, again, he visited both Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Not all, not all sure where else he visited. But uh, I think having R.J. Yeager here, it really helped, you know, kind of turn the tide in many respects. And, you know, so you beat those guys head-to-head on a guy they really wanted. I think that's an important development too. Uh, but I like what we have done. I said all along we need to kind of take our time with this and our fans didn't need to kind of get out of our skis too much and get too invested in what everybody else was doing. And we'll, we'll, we'll recap things, you know, later in the month to kind of how the SEC portal is kind of uh, – kind of landed but I think it's important for us to understand you know our immediate needs are more important than what anybody else does that's where the conversation should always be is what Mississippi State needs to do to get better not what Auburn or Alabama or even Ole Miss and LSU are doing you know it's what are we doing to improve our standing it's one of those things too you know coaching you always want to be adding to the top and taking away from the bottom well I think we're doing that I don't think there's any question now I touched on this on the show, and again, I've got no evidence to back this up. This is just my, my personal opinion based on some observations. I think this time last year, and of course, you know, we're back home getting ready for the celebration. I think the nostalgia of winning an AFL championship and having so many of those pieces come back, I think that's one of the reasons that we weren't more aggressive in the portal last year. We felt like we had, hey, we've got a good enough team to get back to Omaha. Of course, we ended up getting some injuries. And so while we were kind of staying where we were, and as great as that was because we'd won an AFL championship, you lose some significant pieces, and you don't have the guys step up to fill those roles, whereas Arkansas went out there and got a couple guys out of the portal. Ole Miss went out there, got a couple guys out of the portal. You get Josh Gaddis. You know, you get DeLucia as a junior college guy kind of coming in. Uh, Tennessee goes out there gets a couple guys out of the portal. You know, so – we kind of stood pat a little bit. Yeah, we got RJ, but we, you know, that was basically it. We weren't really aggressive in the portal. And, again, I think some of that, too, is when you win it all, you're like, man, I got to want to keep these guys together forever. And sometimes I think it clouds your judgment a little bit. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I wouldn't have done the same thing because I probably would have. And you begin to think about, hey, I'm bringing Cam James back at third, and Cam had his best year in a uniform last year. That gets, that gets undersold at times, but Cameron James had his best – year as a bulldog last year moved around a little bit played some in the outfield but by and large third baseman lane Forsythe had his best year in the uniform now offensively he really had nowhere to go but up but he did it was he 270 hitter i mean the guy really made a difference but again a lot of that came later you bring rj yeager in who was our best player of the year there's no question about it luke hancock a guy that was a double digit home run guy you bring him back was he have seven this year so Luke kind of took a step back a little bit. And maybe that's got something to do with the fact that he didn't have Tanner Allen and Rowdy Jordan getting on base in front of him. Brad Cumbus, his best year in the uniform. And then we had this revolving door in center field. Kellum Clark in his two years had his best year. LT took a step back a little bit. And so you look around and you say, man, we had some guys have career years. Yeah, positionally, 
then you look at what we did or didn't do on the mound, and you can see why we, we need to go out and get so many arms, whether they be through the traditional recruiting methods or through the transfer portal. And so was it the right decision to kind of set Pat? In hindsight, no. But where would you have made the adjustment, obviously pitching-wise? If we'd have been able to find, you know, a reliever and perhaps a closer, probably having a different conversation today. I think the lesson learned there is that every single year you probably got to go out there and get a piece or two from the portal. You know, and I've had so many high school coaches tell me, you know, basically we're having to see a lot of kids go to junior college that ordinarily wouldn't do it. And then upward mobility from junior college is not what it once was because of the portal. Because would you go? Would you rather have a guy that played junior college baseball last year, or a guy whether he played significant reps or not from a Division One program? Well, chances are, more times than not, you're going to go get that guy that's got Division One experience, especially if it's from a Power Five type program. And if you look at what we've done too, we've got a lot of G5 guys. You know, of course, uh, Nixon's from Texas, so you feel really good about him. You know, as a guy that can come in, the guy's pitching Omaha for. You know, so he's not going to be the least bit, uh, shall we say, reluctant to, to tow the rubber at Duty Noble Field. But the, the lessons learned last year are kind of reaping benefits and dividends for us now. And, again, I like what we're doing. We just got to finish now. We're in really good shape. We just got to finish. And uh, Paul Skeens makes a Team USA roster. So he, he, that, that's one of those things, too, that he will, uh, he will ride that out. And that's going to go late into the month. Then uh, he's supposed to take another visit, I think, to Arkansas and then make a decision. So that's probably going to be August before we knew anything. And a lot of people are like, Steve, you know, what? when are we going to know something on skeins? It's because we're eager. But you need to just kind of gear up for the long haul. You need to understand this is likely not going to be a situation that is settled for a few more weeks. Now, the Jackson Kelly thing could happen at any moment. Matter of fact, it could have happened while I'm recording the show. But we feel good about that, too. And so – Need to get it done. Is there anybody else out there larking? Not really sure. I mean, we, we weren't really aware of what was going to happen with, you know, with uh, Will Hull. You know, that kind of came out of nowhere. You know, we're out there looking at these guys and, you know, kind of working sources and trying to find some things out. And, and, and Lamontis and those guys kind of snuck one by us. But, uh, again, that's a guy, too, that could be an interesting piece, you know, as you begin to kind of, kind of put together a late-inning strategy. And who knows, too, he may show up here, and who knows, a change of scenery may be good for him. But I'm, I'm a firm believer when a guy's played three to four years of college baseball at the Power Five level and he's hitting you around 200, you know, the chances of, uh, of him all of a sudden figuring it out, pretty slim. You know, probably will be a guy that will still probably hover around 200. It's not like, you know, he played at, you know, you know the, the school of the mines. I mean, he played at Duke, and, and they have been a good baseball program. Not a great one, but a good one. He's played in the ACC. It's the uh, second-best conference in the country. And so uh, now all of a sudden you're going to jump to the SEC. I mean, you, you, don't, you wouldn't expect those numbers to get better because you're facing better pitching. So that's kind of where you stand with that. But, uh, again, like what we're doing, just kind of got to finish up here. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by our friends at Portico. Portico, I've told you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville, it's where I'd move right now. There wouldn't be any question about it. I'm already sold on it. You will be, too. Go by and check it out. Next time you come to town, take the turn off 82 like going towards campus. The very first ride is past Station Road. You'll pass over the little four-way stop there. Boom, there's Portico. 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. From the land you love. That's how close you'll be. But it's the quiet side of campus. It's the residential side of campus. 
Now, you're going to have to deal with a lot of hustle and bustle out there, easy access to all the major highways in Starkville. When you need to go to the big Walmart, you can jump right out there on the 82. You don't have to go fight 12. I'm telling you, I live here. I'm a Starkville one. You can get a two-bedroom, two-bath home all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. Check out my friend Brooks Bryan, a friend of mine, a friend of yours, a friend to Mississippi State, 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Portico, a great place, man. I've shared many times, if I was moving now, that's where I would live. Whether it be your ballgame weekend retreat, whether it be your primary residence, your future retirement home, you can find a lot of places in Starkville, but none better than Portico. Your new neighbors are already there. Phase one's completely sold out. Phase two under construction now. Some of those are already sold. But there are some houses to be had. And then maybe you're like, you know what, Steve, it's not exactly what we want. You can pick out your lot and have a custom build. Have some say in what those housing plans are. So, again, check them out today. Make Portico your next move. You know, a lot of people have asked, okay, Steve, this NIL thing is just so confusing. I don't believe in it. You know, and here's the thing, too. Just because you don't believe in it doesn't mean it's true. It's not true. I mean, there's a lot going on with every bit of this, and it's not going away anytime soon. Now, I believe that we just kind of need to tread water here until after this uh, kind of figure, they kind of figure all this stuff out. I think it's important to kind of understand that it's going to be some parameters that change things. I lost myself a little bit because I stopped to eat there. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, we've got a couple things I want to talk about, too, with this NIL stuff. People are always kind of wondering, you know, how they can get involved, what they can do. You know, here's the deal. It's not just for rich people. You know, it, it's for everybody that loves Mississippi State. And I think it's important you know, the work that uh, Charlie Winfield and the group are doing with the Bulldog Collective. There are a lot of people, of course, of means that are very, very involved in all this. That doesn't mean that you're forgotten. You know, your contribution is not insignificant, no matter what the denominator is. And so I'm going to encourage you to, to listen to some of this I'm about to, to share with you. I had asked Charlie to make a post over jeanspage.com just to kind of let things know, let us know how things are going. So I wanted to kind of read that to you, and uh, it's not especially lengthy, but I think it is very important. Charlie is a very, very intelligent person, and I'm very comfortable having Charlie on that wall for us. Guy's not making any money doing this. I mean, it's, if, any, if anything, it's been probably a bit of an encumbrance to his life and his own uh, law practice. But uh, we need our best and brightest out here working for the advancement of Mississippi State uh, sports. And so I want to share this with you, and then we're going to talk some recruiting stuff. But uh, <clears throat> Charlie says, good morning. As promised, I wanted to provide an update on where things stand with the Bulldog Initiative. First, we've had a very good week, having received several large individual contributions and highly significant commitments from business participants. These join a number of key commitments we've already received over the past two months. Response to our video conference with Starkville area businesses last week has also been quite positive. We are currently working with several companies to help them use NIL opportunities to promote their businesses. Their participation might or might not run through us ultimately, but that does not matter to us. We will help everyone involved, anyone get involved, whether they are working directly with athletes or through working with us. Second, we are in what I hope are the final phases of testing on our web-based donor platform. This is where you come in. 
That will allow individuals to set up an account where they can contribute monthly, quarterly, or yearly from as little as $5 per month. I expect this to be rolled out next week. That's this week. If you would like to participate in the interim, you can contribute to the Bulldog Initiative LLC P.O. Box 1653 Starkville, Mississippi 39760 or by Venmo at the Bulldog Initiative. Otherwise, I will update here as soon as we go live. Right or wrong, we have been focusing on securing some larger contributions, but it is time, and some may say pastime, to engage on the grassroots level. Third, we are continuing to enter agreements with student-athletes. There will be more to come on that front later, but I have really enjoyed the interactions with them as we work to create some content and promote MSU and the area. Every single one of them has taken seriously the obligation to represent MSU athletics in the community in a positive light. Lastly, I apologize for falling behind on responding to comments or questions on the board. Quick summary of what I would have said. Whatever fan-based frustrations I might have expressed on my own podcast about where we stand as compared to some of the mega deals we hear about, I should not have let that detract from the fact that things are moving in a very good direction and our contributors have already made a difference by their participation. We certainly need more, but there are some who would, who would trade places as well. My wife is a math teacher, and she likes to tell her students to show your work. It is frustrating because I cannot always do that in this arena, not just yet at least. But I can tell you unequivocally that the idea that we are not in a position to make a difference or that our efforts are failing is categorically wrong. The publicity and flash may not be where it needs to be, but the foundation is solid. I need a few days to focus on getting this website, portal, and some other big issues pushed over the goal line. So I might not be terribly active here. In the meantime, please feel free to email me at cwinfield at bulldog.ms. I'll be happy to talk on the phone, have Zoom calls, etc. to answer any questions and if I cannot make time to do that this week, I will devote whatever time is needed this weekend to get to doing it. That was last week's update. And so I share that because a lot of people have just kind of said, you know what, hey, Steve, I would like to be involved. I just don't know how to get involved. I don't understand the legalities behind all of this. And so I will tell you with a full endorsement that this is being done the right way. This is not a situation, you know, where you're like, hey, well, I want to be involved in all this, but I don't want to ultimately end up in a NCAA case where I've done something improper. That's why it's important to have like a third party as a buffer. You know, somebody that maybe you contribute to the collective and then they in turn uh, find a way to, to find a partner with you to showcase your business. And there are many other of you that don't have a business and you're just thinking, hey, I want to contribute somehow. So again, the Bulldog Initiative, LLC, P.O. Box 1653, Starkville, Mississippi, 39760 or Venmo at the Bulldog Initiative. Now, you can decide yourself how your funds are utilized. You can say, you know what, hey, I want this to go to football. I want this to go to baseball. Or maybe you don't have those type of inclinations. Maybe you're like, hey, I just want to be involved. And there's a lot of people out there kind of competing for your dollar. A lot of people. You know, the Bulldog Club is part of it. You know, they, they, they expect you to give a donation to kind of improve your, your seat licensing or, or your, your seating uh, spot in the pecking order. Of course, you buy season tickets. There are other people, too, that perhaps aren't season ticket holders and perhaps don't contribute to the Bulldog Club, and I, I suggest maybe you should. Uh, but the reality of it is is that no matter how 
small your contribution may be, it is appreciated, it is needed, and uh, in many respects, it is coveted uh, by the people that are in charge. And all. It's a lot of people say, well, Steve, I wonder, you know, if I give my money, you know, how do I know this is going to be used properly? I, I can just tell you that Charlie Winfield is a man of character. And the people that are involved in the Bulldog Initiative are looking out for the best interests of Mississippi State. So that's how you can get involved. And I think it's an important aspect, too. Again, you can set up recurring donations. You can make a one-time donation. And there are some people that say, you know what, Steve, I don't make a lot of money, but I can give 20 bucks a month. I don't make a lot of money, but I can give 1000 bucks a month. You know, so all of that is important because – you know, we, we see these things out here, and I don't believe a lot of these big mega deals where these kids are getting 8, 9, 10, 20 million dollars. I don't believe that stuff. But I also know that there are times that your coaches can say, hey, listen, we can't offer you an NIL deal, but we know you're going to have one. And maybe this is what we've done historically, and these are the people that you can contact about that. And so that's where this war chest is kind of kind of put together is with the initiative. You know, Lamonis is not sitting down with a guy saying, hey, we're going to be able to give you $15,000. And I'll, I'll share with you, too, you know, some of the conversations that I've had. NIL on the baseball front hasn't been perhaps as significant as maybe some people have, have expected. There are some guys out there that are obviously commanding big dollars and getting the endorsements and that kind of stuff. And, you know, that's just kind of part of the process right now. And so wh- whether we like it or not, this is here to stay. There will be some changes, and we have to maybe tread water until those changes come into, into effect. But rather than kind of sit on our hands and kind of just kind of hope for the best, you know, you've got some people out there that are very intelligent and very talented or kind of are doing something. And if you, I read Charlie's words to you, we have been somewhat successful. We can be more successful. We can also be, uh, you know, a group that maybe is a little more aggressive, and innovative with certain things. You know, there are some other people out there that they are going to throw some money. I think at Mississippi State, we've got to kind of pick our battles a little bit. We don't have the fan base that many other people do. It's, we're not on welfare either. You know, I think that's important to understand. I think a lot of our people sometimes think, oh, whoa, it was us for this poor old state mentality. I, I just don't subscribe that line of thinking, and I know many of you don't either. So if you want to be involved, that's how to get involved. Let's talk a little recruiting here in our final few minutes together. Now, Chris Parson, the quarterback from uh, Ravenwood High School, currently committed to Florida State. We've talked about him a great deal on the show. He uh, did an interview with a Florida State reporter while he was at Elite 11. He says, hey, I'm looking forward to being in Seminole. they got a great staff at Mississippi State, but I'm committed to Florida State. Uh, not exactly earth-shattering news, but perhaps not the verbiage we wanted to hear. And there was a lot of discussion leading up to the weeks before the Elite 11 finals, that he would make some sort of statement. Well, he's made one. Now, that said, I'm told things really haven't changed. Florida State still expects to take two quarterbacks, and Chris Parsons not especially happy about that. Does he stick with Florida State? That's a possibility. Does he flip to Mississippi State? That's a possibility. I'm not calling that at this point. I do continue to hear that he is expected to be back in town with his family later this month. So, this is probably something that's not going to be over for some time. Now, Mississippi State obviously has other quarterback prospects out there. They just haven't gone full bore after them because it's clear that Parson is the guy they really want. I was told earlier today that uh, conversations as late as Friday continued with Mississippi State. So if he is, quote, committed 
to Florida State and eager to be a Seminole. Why is he continuing to talk to Mississippi State? Why is he still contemplating or expected to take a visit to Mississippi State later this month once the dead period is lifted? So that's something that we will continue to monitor. Now, I will say this, and this is in no way a criticism of anybody in the industry in which I work. I would feel better, no matter what he had to say, if it hadn't been a Florida State writer conducting the interview. By the same token, if it had been me or Paul Jones conducting the interview, I probably wouldn't have put a lot of credence in it either. Because I believe this is a young man that is trying to navigate a very difficult circumstance, and he's going to say what he needs to say until he's ready to say what he wants to say. And at this point, I don't think he knows what he wants to do. I do believe in the very beginning that his heart was 100% in the commitment to Florida State. I believe that's where he wanted to go. I believe that was where his dream was being fulfilled. And then things change. Circumstances change. When he committed to say, you are our guy in this class, and all of a sudden now they have kind of geared down and changed their focus a little bit. And so now he's rethinking some things. Now there's a part of him, I'm sure, he's like, I'm a competitor. I don't care if they bring in a secondary quarterback. But there's also the trust level. Can I trust these coaches? They've told me one thing and did another. Now back to the whole who conducts the interview thing. I have been in this industry now 25 years. And a lot of times, young people will tell you what they think that you want to know based on the school you cover. Had that happen many times. And you kind of learn as you go how to kind of a, a deal with that. Maybe you recalibrate the questions a little bit. But the reality of it is, a lot of times when there is nothing to know, nothing really changes in what's being reported. And so I would have felt maybe a little better or more at ease with the interview had it been with an objective third party. And that's, not, again, not in any way trying to suggest that our Florida State people are, would skew anything. I just think it's a situation where the young man is smart enough to know who he's talking to. There have been times in my career we'd be at a Mississippi-Alabama All-Star game practice, and I would tell Chad Simmons or John Garcia, I'd say, hey, this kid is choosing between State and Ole Miss. Yancey interviewed him two weeks ago. I interviewed him a week ago. Why don't you take a stab at him and see what he tells you? And it's not because of the fact that I didn't think that I'm capable of conducting the interview. But I'm always interested to see if what they're telling other people matches what they're telling me. And again, I don't take that as an indictment on myself. I just think it's important to get kind of a collective opinion and to get people that don't have a dog in the fight to ask some of the questions just because of the fact that they may think of something that we don't think of. When I was a regional analyst with Scout.com, I would call all sorts of players, mainly in Louisiana, Arkansas, and Mississippi, but at times, too, over in Alabama. I had schools that I had to cover. And people appreciated it when it was me writing the story rather than their team guys. And, again, that's not a shot at their team guys. But if what I'm reporting matches what the team guys are reporting, everybody has you know, a sense of comfort. Everybody's like, yeah, now if he told Steve this, that matches what we're hearing from our guys. That's probably true. The guy's not navigating through this and maybe playing mind games or word games. And there were times, too, within the network, people would say, hey, hey, maybe get this kid on the phone and see what he tells you. Yeah, I'm hearing this, talk to a source, they think this, and, and I can't count the times that 
somebody would call me and say, hey, I feel like Arkansas is in good shape here. And you interview the kid and he doesn't mention Arkansas. And I use this as an example. It's any number of schools. A lot of times I'd interview a kid, you know, LSU, and you start pushing the issue a little bit, and you find out that maybe LSU's not as uh, hot and heavy about the guy. But because of the fact that maybe an LSU writer in the beginning loved the kid's tape and thought he would look good in purple and gold, sometimes that skews the coverage. Sometimes we're not able to walk it back because we start thinking, we get tunnel vision, we start thinking, this kid's definitely going to go to LSU, this kid's definitely going to go to Mississippi State, And we stop asking probing questions that may perhaps get the answers that we really need. And so I just share that with you. And so like, because a lot of times, well, there's this. And, you know, it's just like the interview that he did when he took, went to Florida State for the camp. It was kind of an ambush situation. And the kid's just trying to survive the moment, right? I'm talking about Chris Parson. And so Parson's saying, yeah, you know, I'm committed to Florida State. And then next thing you know, he's at Mississippi State with his dad and his younger brother. And so the word said one thing, the action said another. And so I believe that remains the case. I believe he had the interview and just did and said what he needed to say, not because he's playing games with anybody, not because he's stringing Florida State or Mississippi State along. I just truly think the guy doesn't know what he wants to do yet. I think ideally what he'd love is for Mike Norvell to call him and say, hey, Chris, let's just get this thing over with. You're our guy. We're not going to take another quarterback. If that conversation happened, I believe all this drama is completely removed and Mississippi State goes on and signs a different quarterback. I don't think there's any question. I think ideally if he had the deal that he made initially, then he wouldn't be talking to other programs. And there was talk that he may go visit Cal while he was out there. He canceled that visit. He did go to SMU. But that was man way to kind of reconnect with some friends. I don't think SMU is a real contender. I think he's going to go to Florida State or Mississippi State. So possibility he shows up at the top dog camp at the end of the month, that's going to be a big event. That's going to be a pretty big deal. Do we pick up a bunch of commitments? I don't know about that. I think there may be some commitments that day. I don't think it's going to be like it was back in 15 or, you know, we go get eight, nine kids committed. They'll have the little SummerSlam uh, kickoff deal where they have the cookout and families come in. We had that last year. Be a lot of the priority targets there. Then we'll have the camp. You know, it'll be a little different, a little different format than maybe we've had it, it, it sometimes. But uh, that's going to be a pretty significant day for Mississippi State. And I think, too, there's some guys out there that, uh, you know, are going to be bulldogs sooner rather than later. I think there's some guys that maybe we need to see again. I think there are some guys that are right there on the cusp of uh, being pushed for a commitment. And I think that night could probably kind of change the trajectory of the relationship. I think there are some guys out there that uh, are still in the conversation that maybe are not in the top grouping. And that could change with a good workout. There are some other guys, too, I think maybe had a good day. You know, back in June, okay, let's just see it one more time to see some consistency. You know, look, Kendrick James, linebacker from Northside High School. I I think that he's a guy that kind of fits as a will. And we'll see how things go with him. But I think because of the fact that he's a little bit under-recruited, that maybe you wait a little bit. Maybe you wait till you see him again. You don't have to be in a big hurry. We could go out there and get a dozen commitments today. It doesn't mean they can all play in the SEC. So you take your time and you figure this thing out. And so I do think that will be significant. Will there be any commitments between now and then? I don't know about that. You know, Joe Crocker, of course, is announced on the 18th. I put my crystal ball in for him. 
to be a Mississippi State Bulldog. I believe that's the case. I still think he's figuring some things out, but I think by and large he probably already knows what he wants to do. I know that he maintains a relationship with some of your Bulldog linemen. I know they're in contact regularly. I know that uh, he believes Michigan State is uh, too far from home. And if Michigan State is too far from home, then Wisconsin certainly should be. Uh, he has shared with me Wisconsin, of course, traditionally puts a lot of linemen in the NFL. That's his ultimate goal. Michigan State did a great job last year. They're out chasing the best players in the country to kind of make that program nationally relevant again. Had a big year last year. They want to maintain that. And so it's not like it's a slam dunk for State. I just think in the end that Nashville is home. The Tennessee Titans are a favorite. Jeff Simmons, a Tennessee Titan. What's it, four, four and a half hours from the house? I think that's a significant part of it. I think he wants his family to be able to participate and enjoy his college career. It's a much easier way of doing that. That's going to Mississippi State. Now, people forget this, too. He canceled official visits to LSU and Texas A&M. This is not a prospect that the Bulldogs may get this by default because they're an SEC program, and he is from an SEC state. He has very extensive offers from around the country, including several schools in the SEC. So a couple of weeks you might see that. And you never know this time of year. The coaches are on vacation. A lot of players, of course, uh, working through their workouts to prepare for school. And, you know, school's going to be here before you know it. You say, Steve, we haven't even taken our vacation yet. I know. You need to get going. And the reality of this thing is, is that, uh, you know, recruiting's a 365-day deal. I like the beginning of our class. We've got to finish, though. We got it. We got to finish strong in the trenches. We've done a good job under Mike Leach, putting good OL and DL classes together. We're beginning to kind of stack classes on classes. That's got to continue this year. And we've got some good pieces, mostly in state. Not all in state. I mean, there's probably only two to three offensive linemen in the state of Mississippi that I would take, maybe four in a pinch. But I, I would much rather go out there and get those guys that, um, you know, and I think Mason Miller's done a good job. Go get some out-of-state guys that maybe are Power 5 commitments to other programs that we can take late. As two years in a row, we've taken a kid from Virginia Tech late. Both of them just happen to be Texas guys. So I feel good about where we are. Not great, good. I could feel great after top dog camp, and I'll feel great after we get a quarterback too. But you get Chris Parson and all of a sudden – there are some doors that open for you in the skill position positions that uh, make a difference. All of a sudden, you've got you know four-star quarterback like him out there helping buoy the uh, the cause out there on a recruiting trail. So that's kind of how things stand today. We are going to uh, to have some recruiting bones tomorrow over at GeneSpades.com. If you're not a member, you should be. Uh, jump in there and be a part of that too. Always some nice specials going on with all of that. It's GeneSpades.com. We are the Mississippi State affiliate for 247 Sports. Been doing this a long time. Got a great group, a great, a great group of guys that really care, you know, about Mississippi State sports. It's not just a job to all of us. If you hadn't done so, go to dogpilethebook.com and get you a signed copy of Dogpile. While you're there, you can get uh, signed or personalized copies of Flim Flam, Alpha Dogs, Stark Villains. If you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, and I've had a, lately, I've had a bunch of those requests, you can get it at Amazon. You can get it as an e-reader. 
You can get it at barnesandnoble.com, booksmillion.com. Your local bookstore can order it through Ingram. It's very easy to get. We sold a whole lot more of those than I expected, so thank you for that. If you're looking for Stark Villains gear, as always, starkvillains.com. We might want to consider putting another Boneyard shirt together. We sold a bunch of Boneyard shirts here a few years ago. Hadn't done a new one. We had, we hadn't, it's not even production anymore. We might need to put another Boneyard shirt together. So if you guys are interested in that, let me know. I, I love seeing people walking around with the Rose Bowl was right in the Boneyard shirts. It's great. So uh, if you're interested in perhaps in the Boneyard shirt, let me know. And uh, I'll get those guys to get the work uh, to put those things in production. And we'll sell those to you and make it easy for you. I know there are a lot of people, too, that like to buy these shirts for their friends or family members that love the Boneyard. And so we want to make that available to you if we can. All right, as always, listen, let's have a great week. I'll be back tomorrow. I have to think of some cool things to talk about. Pretty soon, we got to start our SEC team previews. Yeah, we'll be doing three of those a week. There are, you know, 14 teams in the conference. You start putting that thing together, man, over a five-week period, it's almost time. SEC media day is coming up. It's always kind of like the kickoff of college football season. We kind of you know, work through our days in the sun and – in the Redneck Riviera, next thing you know, it's uh, media days are here, and we can't wait for the season to start. So uh, we look forward to, to kind of previewing those teams for you. I'm excited about it. I'm eager for fall camp reports, not just ours, but everybody else's. That's going to do it for today. See you guys tomorrow. Until then, have a great night. And may everybody around you that loves you tell you they love you. But until then, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends and enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Watch Stranger Things. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.